When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, the John Cena Edge special on the WWE Network has me thinking I got in trouble. For my ECW Top 5, the NXT Gauntlet match, Retribution Thoughts, and more, this is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh boy. How's everybody doing? Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. What a way to start another week. Lots to talk about today. It's going to be a packed show. So thank you, everybody, for being here with us today, especially you at patreon.com slash Wrestling. all you Not Sam shills. Uh, we really appreciate you. But anybody who goes out of their way to download and or subscribe to this podcast each and every week, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Look, um, it was uh, a fun thing yesterday. I'm going through social media and, you know, like when I uh, have gone to uh, do stuff for the WWE Network, specifically stuff for the Untold series, uh, there have been multiple times where it's been for multiple shows where I've gone in and I've gone for one specific purpose. And then they just start asking me a whole bunch of questions about other stuff. And I just talk about whatever they throw at me. I know a lot about wrestling. So I start answering questions. And that happened the last time. I was in Stanford several months ago. I was there to talk about one topic. And then they were just like, hey, what do you think of this? Hey, what do you think of that? Hey, what do you think of this? And one of the things I kind of forgotten that they'd asked me about was, what do you think of uh, the rivalry between Edge and John Cena? Um, and I told them what I thought about it. And then I got excited. I didn't really think about it that much after that. And then I got really excited because uh, I saw that John Cena, Edge, Untold was coming to WWE Net or was on WWE Network. By the time I saw it, I think it was already on. Um, and I got super excited about it because that's one of my favorite rivalries. And I think that's a rivalry that people don't appreciate as much as they will. They don't appreciate it right now as much as they will because, you know, it's tough to, it still hasn't been long enough that it's looked through a historical context. That sort of ruthless aggression era and it's normal. I mean, it's generational. But that ruthless aggression era is only now just beginning to be looked at in the context of history. Because, you know, if you're looking at it, realistically, you're looking at the timeline. And ruthless aggression starts about 16, 17. Years ago, between 15 and 17 years ago, I would say ruthless aggression kind of starts to take shape. But really, I mean, anything in the last, say, 10 to 12 years, you don't look at in a historical context because odds are that you lived it. So you're thinking about it in terms of memories. Uh, it's not until you have a generation that's kind of grown up with it. And then you yourself have moved through a generation into another one uh, that you go, oh, yeah, like for instance, once I'm 
out of college and into adult life, I'm thinking about the wrestling that I was watching in high school, which is when you start to appreciate the Attitude Era. You know, and I think that the people who watched Ruthless Aggression in high school are now kind of starting to take shape as adults. And that's why Ruthless Aggression is starting to be looked at differently. But uh, I was going through social media and I found out about it because they uh, they promoted it well. It was on the WWE's Instagram, WWE Network Instagram. John Cena posted a video of him talking about uh, giving his father a hug after the second uh, after the TLC match with Edge. Uh, and then Edge posts this other video, this other preview clip. And I'm just watching it because I'm like, oh, cool. I'm looking forward to this thing. And John Cena talks a little bit about the thing with Edge. And then Edge talks a little bit about the thing with John Cena. And then my weirdo face pops up. And then John Cena Sr. talks about it. So I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You got John Cena, you got Edge, you got John Cena's dad. And then me? I didn't know I was on this thing. And I mean, the most you can ask for in life is to be used for one clip. There's like one Sam Roberts soundbite in the whole thing. But it made the trailer. And that's all you can ask for. That's all you can ever want out of life. That's called succeeding uh, at the utmost level. You give them exactly what they need in one fell swoop. And that's what I did. I feel like that's what I did. But I was so psyched to be anywhere near a part of that thing. It was like when they asked me to do the uh, first after show for the last ride. I was like, I was ready to just enjoy the last ride. So to be anywhere near this stuff always kind of throws me for a loop just because I love it so much. And I'm the type of person that's why, you know, we're at episode 309 of this podcast because I'm the type of person that that I just want more, more. I'm a glutton when it comes to the things that I love. So when it comes to pro wrestling and WWE and the specific elements of WWE that I've loved the most, whether it's uh, superstars or rivalries or whatever it is, I want to get as close to those things as humanly possible. There's no, for me, that whole like never meet your heroes thing, I, I don't buy into it at all. I'm not like, I, I'm not, the type of person that's like, no, I'll keep my distance and I'll I'll compartmentalize this over here and I'll car I don't car compartmentalize at all. It's all one thing, you know. I take care of what's in front of me at a given time and knock it out of the park and then move on to the next thing. That's how I'm able to do so many things. But the things I enjoy in life are all one. It's a salad. I'm not eating meals in different portions. I don't have well. I, I you know when I eat. It's on an adult plate with everything on the plate. I'm not using one of those lunch trays that you'd get in fifth grade where it's split up into different portions. This is where I put my wrestling. This is where I put my job. This is where I put my family. I talked to my three-year-old son because he's just curious about, you know, he's got all these opinions that he's forming in his head now. And I was like, hey, what does daddy do? Because I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. Because, like, I think about the way I looked at my dad and he goes to work and he wears a suit and he's, you know, a grown-up. And then, you know, I'm walking around the house in hoodies and jeans and wrestling shirts and, like, hosting, like, radio shows and doing podcasts and YouTube stuff all the time. And I said, buddy, what, is, what does daddy do? And he looked at me and he said, daddy goes downstairs and works on the computer and then watches wrestling and takes the dog for a walk. And I was like, that's it. You got it. You got the whole picture of who I am. 
But it's not like, well, this part of his compartmentalized because his, his compartment over here, no, not for me. So I love the fact that I can be anywhere near this thing. And basically, the only the thing that they used of me contributing on the John Cena Edge uh, story, I think Untold is like my favorite thing on the WWE Network, by the way, right now. Um, and I think the stories that they've been telling are just so cool because it, it, it feels a lot more unfiltered. You know, it feels like you're really getting John Cena's opinion of it. And we get to hear Bruce Pritchard telling the story of working with John Cena Sr. And we get to hear what Edge's motivation was. And I mean, you know, Edge, I feel like, is now at this point of his career where he's reflecting back on some of this stuff. And I don't think, as much as we all knew how he felt about this, I, I don't think anybody realized how much at what the passion that Edge had for, for pro wrestling is. You know, I, I don't think that anybody realized how much he's thinking about it constantly uh, and how much he always has, but it makes sense. That's why he's so good at it. Um, but the one thing that they used of me was basically it was saying, number one, that this is the best rivalry John Cena ever had, and number two, and arguably Edge too, but I don't know. I'd have to do some thinking if it's Edge's best. To me, it's definitely John Cena's best. It's my favorite anyway. And uh, number two, it was not just a rivalry of who's going to control the WWE going forward. It's what is that going to look like? Because realistically here, like, yes, Edge was a face of the ruthless aggression era, but Edge was attitude era through and through. I mean, you know, the, the narrative of John Cena is that he came into the WWE and failed, that he looks at, at his first time, the beginning of his time in WWE, everything pre-Doctor of Thugonomics as a failure, which I don't think is fair because he was never, it's not like he was ever released. I mean, maybe he had high expectations for himself that he didn't meet, and that's why he considers it a failure, which, you know, arguably I could say is true. But realistically, I don't think it's a failure when you're taking some time to find your footing. You know, I, I, I did he become the WWE champion within six months? No, but who has? You know, I don't look at the original John Cena run as a failure as much as I do, okay, there's some potential here. Let's just see what happens. Because really, it wasn't that long. When you look at it, like, by WrestleMania 19, he was the doctor of thugonomics. And he was on the kickoff show. He was he did a, a freestyle against uh, Fabulous and Jay-Z cardboard cutouts because I guess both were booked to do the show and then flaked out or something. But so he was on the pre-show of WrestleMania 19. He wasn't on the show show. because He was just kind of starting this Dr. Thugonomics thing. Then by WrestleMania 20, he beats Big Show for the United States Championship in the opening match. By WrestleMania 21, he's becoming the WWE champion. So you do have a, a, a fairly quick acceleration. And, and after WrestleMania 21, it was guns blazing. After WrestleMania 21, we were off to the races. So realistically, Edge and John Cena were both reaching that main event level as single stars at the same time 
time, more or less. That 2006, that's when people were really taking John Cena seriously as champion. It wasn't really a, a, an experiment anymore. It was like, he is the guy. And that was clear to everybody. Cheering or booing him, it was like, okay, he's the guy, though. And even if you booed him, it's not like there was somebody else that it should have been. It was clear that John Cena was the guy. But at the same time, I mean, Edge says it in the doc that by 2006, he was really figuring out who he was. And that's when the rated R superstar was really taking hold. And that's when he had gone through the Matt Hardy stuff and had come out of it on the other side. And it was a bigger star for it, especially as far as being a heel. But he had been in WWE like eight or nine years at that point. I mean, you have to look at everything that he did before John Cena was even in the company. You know, when he came in, as you think you know me, then he joined the brood. Then he feuded with the Hardy Boys with Christian. Then he split from that and went singles. And I mean, yeah, he became king of the ring. He won the Intercontinental Championship a bunch of times. But he wasn't, he was this guy that for years was looked at as, oh, he's got the potential to be something. Oh, he's got the potential to be something. But there was a lot of times when it's felt like the WWE as a company had forgotten about making Edge a main event player. A lot of times when that was happening. And I mean, in 2003, I think, you know, you'd be like, no, Edge is good. But, you know, he's been here for as long as he's been here. I don't think he's going to be a main event level guy. I don't think he's going to be your top of the card guy. And he fought and he got better and he got better and he reinvented himself. Then he reinvented himself again. Then he reinvented himself again. And while he was never not a company guy, while he was never, I don't think he was ever looked at in WWE as a guy who won't make it. He was never looked at as a guy guaranteed to make it. And John Cena, while he wasn't cherry picked from the beginning, you know, he, he was one of those guys where it could have gone, John Cena's career could have looked a lot like Drew McIntyre. I mean, there's a lot of guys who come in and it looks like they're going to have the world by their, by the balls. And then it just doesn't happen. And John Cena is one of those could have been one of those guys. If the doctor of thugonomics hadn't worked, that would have been John Cena's story. But the doctor of thugonomics worked. I mean, you know, let's not rewrite history here and act like John Cena wasn't extremely popular. I mean, when he won the U S title at WrestleMania 20, People love John Cena. When Dr. Thugonomics hit hard, oh, people loved it. And that's that's when things turned around for John Cena. But realistically, what was that? A couple of years in? A year in? Before it's like, oh, this is turning into something. And then a year after that, now you're cemented. This is something. Edge had to wait a lot longer than two years. And when he did, it was like, Edge got here on his own. Edge had to prove to the world what his worth was. And it took a lot longer to do that than it did for John Cena. So I looked at it as, you know, I, I'm sure at one point in his career, Edge wanted to be Hulk Hogan. I don't think Edge started out in WWE wanting to be Roddy Piper. I think Edge, like anybody else who starts out, I mean, look, at WrestleMania six. 
when Edge and Christian are in the audience in the Toronto Dome, they're wearing Hulkamania tank tops. Make no mistake about it. Edge, I believe, wanted to be Hulk Hogan. But he realized where he was best suited. And now, Edge isn't Hulk Hogan or Roddy Piper. Edge is Edge. Edge is special. But I think, you know, as I look at John Cena's rivalries, and, and people get matches and rivalries mixed up, because I think that the, the one thing that people point out, they go, I go, Edge is definitely the best rivalry John Cena ever had. And the one hang-up people have on that is they go, well, CM Punk is the best rivalry. And that's not true. CM Punk and John Cena is not the best rivalry. Any more than, like, you know, people say, well, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, that's the best CM Punk rivalry. No, that might be the best match for CM Punk, but it's not the best rivalry. My favorite John Cena match of all time is, of course, Money in the Bank 2011, CM Punk versus John Cena, with CM Punk winning the title and then leaving. I mean, that, you know, there, there, there's nothing better than that. Money in the Bank 2011 might be the best, is on the list of the best WWE pay-per-views ever. That's the the night that Daniel Bryan wins the briefcase, That's and you have this match, and I, I don't know that I've had the feelings that I had going into the CM Punk-John Cena match at Money in the Bank since. Where I'm sitting there going like any a lo- anything could happen here. I don't know how this is gonna go. As a fan who's been watching as long as I've been watching, I don't know how this is gonna go. And that happened with John Cena versus CM Punk. But I wouldn't write a movie around the John Cena CM Punk story. I would write a movie around the CM Punk story. I mean, ultimately, CM Punk's greatest rivalry was with the WWE. Ultimately. John Cena was the opponent, but realistically, CM Punk's rivalry was with WWE, with the way he's been treated. That's the CM Punk rivalry. John Cena is just a a, 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 a figurehead of that. John Cena is the wrestling representative of that body. Now... When you're talking about rivalries and real stories, I could write a movie around the story of Edge versus John Cena because it goes into whether you're just going storyline or you're going real life. Like you could as a fan believe that John Cena and Edge represent two different things. That even though, you know, on on screen, Edge represents the heel, John Cena represents the pure heel, pure 100% heel. Dirtbag dude. And John Cena represents American apple pie babyface. No doubt about that. In real life, Edge had to work for a decade to finally get to the position where he's the top guy in the company. And here comes John Cena, who after two years has caught the eye of Vince McMahon. That's going to drive anybody crazy. And as a fan, you can convince yourself that these two must really not like each other. And they're polar opposites. I mean, Edge, you're sitting there, right? And if you don't like John Cena, it's because you don't like what John Cena represents. And if you go even two levels deep, John Cena represents WWE and the PG era that was forming around John Cena as the face of the company. Edge hearkened back 
Ed Edge was the Attitude Era holdout in Ruthless Aggression. When you look at Ruthless Aggression, you're looking at the end of the Attitude Era and the beginning of the PG Era. Edge is the end of the Attitude Era. John Cena is the beginning of the PG Era. And that's the battle that's happening right before our eyes. That is why, to me, there's no rivalry like it. That is why it is a generation-defining rivalry. Once in a lifetime, Edge versus John Cena. Now, Cena's had a lot of other good rivalries. I think, like, uh, John Cena and The Miz is a good rivalry just because, you know, The Miz as a heel character represents not working hard. He represents... The opposites of hustle, loyalty, and respect. Mike Mizanin is a different story. I'm not talking about real life. I'm talking about the characters. The Miz is about shortcuts. The Miz is about cheating. The Miz is not about the fans. The Miz is certainly not about loyalty. And the Miz has no respect for anybody. The Miz is about is a selfish guy. The Miz puts himself first. John Cena is hustle, loyalty, respect. He respects people. If he's got your back, He's got your back, and he's going to win through hard work. So, you know, as characters, it's a great juxtaposition. It's a great Superman-Lex Luthor relationship, and it's on the list of great John Cena rivalries, but it's not Edge and John Cena. Not even close. I mean, Edge and John Cena feels like a real battle of who is the top guy. The Miz and John Cena is like, The Miz is a great villain for the top guy to beat. And there's a big difference there. Um, I think, you know, Randy Orton is a great John Cena rivalry. Um, but that has more to do with two guys coming in around the same time. One, kind of a punk, snot-nosed, disrespectful, has family lineage in the business that may be helping him. And the other is from, is this, you know, kid from West Newbury, Massachusetts that's just, you know, doing the work. It's a good rivalry. And it's one that has, it's, it's very important. You could probably write a movie around that one for sure because it's one that, that spans through generations. Like, that's a story that you could tell. If you ever got John Cena to wrestle one more match in WWE, you would at least consider Randy Orton as a possible opponent because, you know, this is you're talking about two guys that that would have met early in their careers, in the middle of their careers, and then at the peak of their careers as two of the biggest names in wrestling. Let's really find out who's better. So that's a good rivalry. I put that in I, it's probably top three for John Cena. Um, you know, I Brock is I I don't Brock is more matches. Than rivalry, I, I don't think the John Cena Brock Lesnar rivalry is a real rivalry. Um, I think it's on the list of great John Cena matches, and not the first Extreme Rules match. I mean the uh, Suplex City bitch match, where John Cena just sells and sells and sells the entire match. I mean, but that that's more of an important match because it made Brock Lesnar. So you know, I don't really consider that you know part of it, and uh, and the only one other one is the rock but there's just something like that I, I would still put as a match you told the story for a year 
It was the best buildup. You could argue that the John Cena rock buildup, I don't know if I would put it on Hogan Sting level, but the John Cena rock buildup was probably the best buildup to a John Cena match ever. It made John Cena into a bigger superstar for sure. And I'm talking about the first one. Second one was cool, but like the first one where it was like, we're shooting from the hip now, boys. That was cool. I think Roman Reigns is on that list of rivalries too, but with Roman, it was more like, we know this is a passing of the torch. Like we know what we're watching here. We're not, there was something that wasn't quite poetic or romantic about that. You know, you're not seeing like the John Cena rock one was important because it's John Cena's opportunity to be that guy on that level. And the rock doesn't want to give it to him. And it doesn't seem like he's going to give it to him. John Cena and Roman Reigns, like, yeah, it got hostile for a second, but at no point did you feel like John's not going to pass the torch to Roman. Rock and John Cena, you felt like Rock didn't want to give it to him and didn't take him seriously. And that's what made that compelling. But again, that's a match. Um, For me, I don't think any of it compares to Edge and John Cena. I just, I mean, you can email me, not wrestling at gmail.com if you disagree, but I just don't, I, I I don't think it does. And, you know, I, I, because for Edge and John Cena, as much as like the TLC match is the match, there really isn't one that's the match. I don't think of Edge and John Cena in terms of one match. I think of it in terms of a story. And that's how you know you've got a great rivalry, you know, and something that never really ends. and never really ended. You know, I still wouldn't consider them friends from a canon perspective, from a storyline perspective. So that's why for me, that's far and away the best. John Cena and Edge. Speaking of top five lists, uh, WWE on Fox put out a, a tweet and they're always good for, uh, WWE on Fox knows how to get, they know a little word called engagement. WWE on Fox, whoever runs that Twitter account understands how to get engagement because they will just come up with some weird non sequitur question that will really get the internet talking. Tommy Dreamer was trending on Twitter over the weekend because of this question, which anything that gets Tommy Dreamer trending on Twitter, I'm for it. But the question that was posed to the internet was, who are the top five superstars in ECW history? And I posted my top five list, and I believe my top five list is beyond reproach. I believe that uh, it, every member of the list is inarguable. You could put them in whatever order you want. I, I'm not going to argue order so much. It's just I believe my top five list is inarguable. You could say, hey, this person belongs on a top five list. That person belongs on a top five list. And it's true. But none of the people on my list don't belong. You know, you would you couldn't take any of the people on my list off of my list. And I say this from a person who love as I say this as a person who loved ECW. Uh, I say this as a person who watched ECW on the Madison Square Garden Network Saturdays at 1 a.m. I say this as a person who ordered every ECW pay-per-view on pay-per-view. I say this as a person whose favorite episode of Monday Night Raw for years, and maybe to this day, 
took place in February of 1997 when ECW invaded the Manhattan Center for no particular reason. They were just invited, and WWE let them show their goods. I say this as a person who was wearing a, a BWO shirt in the audience of SummerSlam 97. I say this as a person who went to the stores hunting for the first series of ECW action figures, as a person who went to shows and filled out the RF video pre-order form so I could get the fan cam VHS and it would only take 18 weeks, but I could get the VHS of the fan cam of the show that I went to as a person who still to this day at my parents' house, I have a collection of the ECW master tapes that you got through mail order. And it was probably Paul Heyman himself or maybe Tommy dreamer himself using tape to put the labels on. I mean, I, if you love ECW and you found out about it later in life, that's cool. If you found if you found it on the WWE Network and now you're watching it and you're like, yeah, I became an ECW fan, that's cool. Totally fine. But I won't allow I won't allow you to critique my top five list if that's you. If you weren't there as an ECW fan in 97, 96, 97, 98, 99, beginning of 99, like one month in 99. Then, you know, I don't know how much we have to say. Was it 99 or 2000? I don't know. Point is, I come from a very educated perspective. And this is my top five list. Uh, number one on my ECW greatest of all time is, of, and by the way, also very, very important. Only using wrestlers, meaning no Joey Styles, no Paul Heyman. No Joel Gertner, no Bill Alfonso, no Francine, no Beulah, no Kimono Wanalea. Only in-ring competitors. No managers, no announcers, no authority figures, nobody. Okay, so no Todd Gordon, none of that. Because it complicates things. I mean, you could easily make an argument that, I mean, of course, there's no ECW without Paul Heyman. So if Paul Heyman's not on your list, it wouldn't make any sense. You could easily make an argument that Joey Styles belongs on there. Maybe you watched in the TNN era and you're all about Cyrus the Virus. I don't know what to tell you, but it complicates things too much. We're sticking to wrestlers. And we're not going with, well, he was also doing this behind the scenes because that's that's neither here nor there. That's hearsay, okay? That's not, as a fan, you don't know that way. Like, as a fan, we know now because he talked about it on my podcast. He talked about it here. The Bubba Ray Dudley was sitting there booking buildings for ECW. That's great to know now. But then when you're watching ECW as a kid, you don't think Bubba Ray Dudley is sitting there going like, we want the v v v Viking Hall. You don't think that's happening. So that's neither that that's not permitted either. Uh, number one is Tommy Dreamer, of course. Tommy Dreamer, the heart and soul of ECW. You know, he was there from the beginning to the end. Like, I I didn't see anyone's top five list that Tommy Dreamer wasn't on. If it was, I couldn't take it seriously. I mean, Tommy Dreamer... Tommy Dreamer was the John Cena of ECW. Tommy Dreamer was the hero. Tommy Dreamer was the guy. And there's, there's no getting around 
Tommy Dreamer. He's the Hulk Hogan of ECW. You know, the ultimate babyface, always there to put somebody over, uh, always a main event guy. Like, you know, I, I don't even know. There's no, if I have to sit here and justify why Tommy Dreamer is number one on my list, then you probably have never seen an ECW show in your life. This is where we start to get into the mud. This is where we start to get controversial. Number two for me is Sabu. Sabu is on this list because uh, something that's very important about ECW was when you watch, to this day, when you watch WWE, you don't see an arena full of people wearing WWE shirts. You see people wearing a Roman Reigns shirt. You see people wearing a John Cena shirt. You know, you see people wearing a Liv Morgan shirt. You, you see people wearing shirts of their favorite superstars. New Day shirts. You know, the top-selling shirt ever is the Austin 316 shirt, the, the Hulkamania shirt, whatever. You would turn on WCW. You'd see NWO shirts. You'd see DDP shirts, Sting shirts, Goldberg shirts. ECW, the number one selling shirt in ECW is the ECFNW shirt. When you look at an ECW crowd, they're all wearing ECW shirts because... Every, the ECW is more of a team mentality in wrestling than there has ever been and there will ever be. Every person on the ECW roster was there to represent ECW. The, the goal of each performer was for ECW to win. And that's very important as we look at this top five. You know, I mean, Tommy Dreamer literally is wrestling in an ECW shirt every time he goes out there, right? Tommy Dreamer's call to action is ECFNW before he drops you with a DDT or the Dreamer driver. Or hit you with that uh, sign that we thought was oak tag, but really is a stop sign under it. So number two is Sabu. And Sabu is, to me, one of the most important people in the history of ECW. Because... Sabu is one of the first superstars in ECW to differentiate the product, right? ECW, what made them different was that they were nuts. You know, you're talking about like 95, 96, when wrestling is cartoons. You got one promotion over here trying to main event Bret Hart against a dentist, and the other promotion over here is trying to main event Hulk Hogan versus the Dungeon of Doom or Zeus 10 years after No Holds Barred even came out. And then over on the other end, you have a promotion that is so crazy, you, you think it's real. You think it's real fighting. And Sabu is the character that really made that style famous more so than anybody else you believe to the point and we were talking about Sabu with Ryan from WrestleBotch on the show uh, a couple weeks ago that when Sabu would mess something up you wouldn't even be like whoa Sabu messed up you'd be like that's just Sabu he's completely unpredictable he's making it up as he goes and he's doing this for real Sabu was the one that popularized the table Sabu brought that style that was going on in Japan that deathmatch style and brought it over to America and brought it over to ECW. There was no wrestler in America that was wrestling like Sabu. And he was legitimate. You looked at him. He had the scars across his chest. His pants would get torn up by barbed wire. 
This guy was not a joke. Sabu was a guy that you could be a 40-year-old man. And if you saw Sabu in the parking lot, you wouldn't approach him. Sabu had the energy of the original Sheik, where you thought what you were seeing was real with him. And you thought what he was doing was so nuts that they, would, they, they, they can't allow this on television. They can't allow this in a building. You can't be doing this stuff. This has to be illegal. This is assault or something like that. I don't know what this crazy guy's going to do next. That's the energy that Sabu brought. And that's the energy that, that, that made ECW for a period of time. You know, I mean, when WCW first wanted to inject, WCW did an amazing job. They went, right? They, WCW wanted to create a show with Nitro that would not be like prototypical WWE wrestling. They wanted to take elements of wrestling everywhere else and put it on their show. And the cruiserweight division was all about that, injecting Lucha into American wrestling. And they did an amazing job with that. But they clearly also wanted to take the energy that ECW brought and put it on their show. And how did they do that? They got Sabu over. And ultimately, you know, it didn't work out. You watch like the second, third episode of Nitro, Sabu is there putting people through tables and he's back in ECW. So that for me is why Sabu is irreplaceable to the legacy of ECW. Number three on the list is actually Sabu's partner and that's Rob Van Dam. Now, Rob Van Dam, uh, I mean, you look at Rob Van Dam and the gimmick that he was doing in ECW is literally, I mean, it's tweaked, but it's still the gimmick that he's doing to this day in Impact Wrestling. That's how big of an impact, pardon the pun, that RVD had as an ECW superstar. That you still say RVD and he comes out there. I mean, he carried it over to WWE. He carried it to Impact. He's carried it for decades now. Decades. RVD uh, was the one guy in ECW who you looked at at the time and said, any wrestling company in the world could make millions with this guy. Any wrestling company in the world could make him a superstar. You know, you looked at Tommy Dreamer, you looked at Sabu, and while they were defining ECW, they were also defined by ECW. You know, when you brought any of either of those two superstars out of ECW, it was almost like uh, they were in a different world. You looked at Rob Van Dam and you were like, that guy could be a star in any promotion in the world he wants to. Rob Van Dam was one of those guys that you told your friends about on ECW because you were like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah, Sabu is doing crazy stuff. Tommy Dreamer's the man. But Rob Van Dam is legitimately better than the champion in WWE or WCW. That's what people said about Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam was one of the first superstars to become more popular than the ECW brand itself. Rob Van Dam was the guy whose t-shirts started popping up. I don't want to say more often than the ECW brand logo t-shirt, but they did. I mean, Rob Van Dam was the guy who became more popular than the ECW brand. Nobody in that company had the popularity that he did. 
And who knows if that would have happened if there had never been an ECW. Who knows if Rob Van Dam would have been able to just go out and become a star somewhere else. But, but, point is he didn't. And in terms of being a star on that level, I mean, Rob Van Dam's the man. For number four, and this one was controversial. I think this is the one that people would like to switch out. But you absolutely can't, okay? With ECW, there was a full embracing of exactly who they are. They didn't pretend to be anything that they weren't. And they weren't interested in being anything that they weren't. But what they are, they were going to be the number one version of. And nobody represented that more than the Sandman. The Sandman was a guy that could main event in ECW and just wouldn't work in any other company. But when you saw him in ECW, you were like, this is the coolest wrestler ever. This is what I wish every wrestler was. The Sandman, the beer-drinking, cane-swinging freak, politically incorrect and damn proud of it. Sandman was just the man. When you go back and you look at the original ECW One Night Stand pay-per-view, that Sandman entrance is one of the best entrances of all time. And I mean, and he really is a symbol of what ECW was all about and the power that ECW had and the way they told their stories. You've heard me on this podcast talk about how wrestling and WWE is not about wins and losses. It's not about having the biggest matches ever. For me, it's about characters. It's about stories. No, you can't sit there and go, I mean, I guess the best Sandman rivalry and story would probably be with uh, uh, Raven when they were fighting over Sandman's kid and all that. But realistically, when you think about the Sandman, you just think about the, the, the icon. He's an icon of ECW. And icon is not a word you can just throw around. But you think about the entrance. You think about the look. You think about him hitting people with canes. And you think about the fact that without ever going home and being like, that was a great Sandman match, that you went home and you were like, oh my God, I got to see the Sandman. When Enter Sandman came out, it was like, oh my God, here we go. He was a only main event level player because of how strong that character was. That character represented what ECW was because it wouldn't have worked outside of ECW, but was still one of the coolest acts in all of wrestling. He fits in with that Sabu thing where it's, you'd go and you'd go, well, what is this ECW thing? I mean, Imagine seeing a promotion get ahead the way ECW did. Not on the names of stars from the past, aside from maybe one, but on their original characters. You got to come to this ECW show. Why? Well, they got this guy Sabu and he jumps through tables and they got this guy, the Sandman, he drinks beer and he hits people with canes. Oh man, this sounds amazing. That's what ECW is all about. And that's why the Sandman belongs on this list. And number five, and this isn't cheap, this isn't cheating, is the Dudley Boys. I'll tell you why it's not cheating. If anything, it's like 
putting Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley as two picks on this top five list would have been ridiculous because individually they did not contribute enough to ECW to be considered on screen to be considered top five. But as a team, as an act, the Dudley boys is an act. And as an act, I mean, they were able to leave ECW, come into WWE and create the argument that they were one of the best teams since the road warriors because of ECW. I mean, these are guys that were able to be heels on a show that embraced heels. And they were still able to be real heels that didn't get cheered. They started riots. I mean, this is old school wrestling stuff. You talk about not being afraid of heat. These guys were sitting there causing riots, causing crowds to get violently angry. And ECW fans are theoretically the most sort of wrestling smart fan in the world, but it didn't matter because the Dudley boys felt real and they came out in their glasses looking like the Hanson brothers with the tape on them and the tie dye. And it was another one of those acts that you said, you got to come to this ECW show because when the Dudleys come out, all hell is going to break loose. And that's what it was all about for the Dudleys. I mean, the, the ECW tag team title meant something. They had a strong tag division because of the Dudley boys. Because when the Dudley boys came to the ring, it was a highlight. You know, it was hearkening back to the days when, I mean, you could make the comparison to the Road Warriors. When the Road Warriors would come out, it was like they were, the Road Warriors as an act is one of the biggest acts on the show. And you don't see that very often with tag teams. The Dudley boys was that, except in ECW. And, you know, I, I, I just, that's why they're, they're, you can't talk about ECW without bringing up the Dudleys, those damn Dudleys. So that's why they're number five on my list. That, that's my top five. Tommy Dreamer, Sabu, Rob Van Dam, the Sandman, and the Dudleys. Now, I think the name that came up the most that's not on this list is Taz, right? And Taz, if it was a top six list, Taz is six. I mean, the nature of top five lists is you're you're going to piss all but five people off, right? I'm like the biggest Taz fan ever. I loved Taz. When I found out the mood was about to change and he was coming to WWE, I was freaking out. I thought he was the man. And he's one of the biggest stars ECW ever put out. But I don't think that Taz symbolized ECW as much as Taz symbolized Taz. Now, that's not a shot at all. If anything, it was because Taz was able to turn himself into such a main event level talent that it didn't feel like he was there to wave the flag of ECW. The character, of course, not the person. On screen, it didn't feel like Taz was there to wave the flag of ECW. It felt like Taz was there to wave the flag of Team Taz Dojo, you know? And in real life, I, there was no ECW without Taz. Taz was uh, designing the t-shirts. Taz was uh, uh, running the school. Like, you know, the, the importance 
of Taz to ECW cannot be understated. But in terms of the character itself, the, the title run that, EC, that Taz had as the ECW champion and as the ECW TV champion, forever, forever. But I just don't think that he's as synonymous with ECW as these other five acts are. I think Tommy Dreamer, Sabu, Rob Van Dam, Sandman, Dudleys. Those five acts, when you think of ECW, you think of them. When you think of them, you think of ECW. I think when I say Taz, you think of Taz's whole career. You think of everything that Taz has done. And that's not to say they these other five guys haven't accomplished just as much. But I don't know. There's just something about Taz where you think about his commentary run. You think about everything he did with not only WWE, but then with Impact. You think, you think about everything Taz has done. Taz feels like he goes beyond just ECW. ECW feels like a part of Taz's career. Whereas ECW feels like what is these other guys are, they define ECW. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's how I'm feeling. Uh, I think the franchise Shane Douglas came up a lot, but the reason for me and Shane Douglas would make a top 10 easily. But the reason for me that Shane Douglas didn't make my top five list was because realistically, I mean, you know, after 97, sometime in 98, that was kind of it. All these other people were at least in and out for a little bit longer. But, you know, I think Shane Douglas was crucial to the first half of ECW, to the beginning of ECW, to the building of ECW. But I couldn't put Shane Douglas in a top five all time of ECW. Shane Douglas again. Uh, yeah. You know, you certainly associate him with ECW, but I I don't think that that when you say, hey, you got to go see this ECW show, I think, you know, you, you franchise is obviously the, a main event level guy, but it's not what makes ECW special. These five are what makes ECW special to me. Um, New Jack makes ECW special. Yes. Yes. And he's a top 10 guy too, but I, I just don't think he ever quite hit that level of these other five. Uh, Raven could easily be on a list like this. But again, Raven Raven did his time, but he missed a bunch, you know? That gap that he was gone for to me, and then, I don't know, I, I, I feel like it made it so that he went and did Raven in WCW. I think that when I say Raven... Some people might think of ECW. Some people think of WCW. I mean, I, I think Mikey Whipwreck is somebody who you talk about as an ECW all-timer. I think the Eliminators, when you talk about tag teams, you can't go wrong with the Eliminators. Mike Awesome, Masato Tanaka, two names that, you know, you talk about Shane Douglas in that first half of ECW, that second half of ECW, all about Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka. Post-Taz, it's all about Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka. But again, I don't think there was enough time there. And then, of course, I, I, and, I, and this, was, this was the name. This might be my number six. 
Taz, I, I had to struggle with whether or not I put Taz on my top five. I also was struggling with whether or not I put Terry Funk on my top five because I talked about not having names from the outside, but Terry Funk was a name that ECW had from the outside. Terry Funk was a name that that helped put so many people over in ECW. I mean, the the barely legal triple threat match for the ECW championship. Uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah, the well, it was the the barely legal triple threat match that he had for the number one contendership, the run that he had as ECW champion, the barbed wire match that he had with Sabu. I absolutely think that you associate Terry Funk with ECW, absolutely. And if you put him on your top five list, yeah, that would be a conversation to have. Uh, and I see why you would, but for me, he just couldn't beat out the five guys that I had on my list. So there's my top five list. Uh, very controversial. Got a lot of replies to it on Twitter. A lot of people mad about Taz. I get it. Trust me, I very much get it. Um, but I don't think you could argue. I, I just don't think you can argue that top five list. You could argue what what spot they're going to be put in. I just don't think you could argue it. Uh, man, that was a lot of history. You know, we got a lot of wrestling coming up this week. Uh, I'm actually pretty pumped to see what this NXT gauntlet match looks like. I think it's going to be very exciting. I think so far we've got, like, uh, Timothy Thatcher's in there. Uh, let me see if I can look it up real quick. Um, I think Cameron Grimes was announced as being in there. Uh, and his hat will be with him, of course. Kyle O'Reilly is in the Gauntlet Eliminator match. Um, Kushida is in the Gauntlet Eliminator match. So, yeah, you've got Kushida, Cameron Grimes, Kyle O'Reilly, Timothy Thatcher, all announced so far with I'm sure a lot more names to be announced because they showed a lot of uh, a lot of kind of uh, 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 main event level guys in that match. And the winner's going to get the match with Finn Balor at TakeOver. Um, I'd like to see it be Adam Cole. I could see it being Tommaso Ciampa. Um, but I love this, this match. I think it's going to be a long one. You know, I think it's going to last a while, but I think it's going to be action, 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 action. The whole way through. Action, 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 action. Um, but, yeah. So I'm very excited about that. And then it seems like we're probably going to get some retribution answers on Raw. I think it is, if there ever was a time to get some retribution answers, now is the time. I talked about this a little bit on the Patreon exclusive podcast. And if you don't know, uh, every Thursday we drop Thursday Not Sam Thursday exclusively for the Not Sam Shills over at patreon.com slash wrestling. You sign up now, it's less than a dollar a week, and you'll get access to our Discord room. Uh, you'll get the bonus podcast every week. You'll get this podcast early and ad-free. Uh, and then as the tiers go up, you can, uh, you, can, you can watch the podcast live. For example, if you're watching this live taping, you get to hear me trying to help my son figure out the TV in the middle of the podcast. That was all edited out. But if you had been watching live, if you were not Sam Schill and you were at the right tier, you could have seen that for yourself. Just imagine. But all that's available at patreon.com slash not Sam Wrestling. Uh, so Retribution we saw on Monday, and pretty clearly to me anyway, I saw Dominic Dijakovic, Mia Yim, uh, Mercedes Martinez, 
and uh, I think maybe one other person. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Dio. Dio Madden, former commentator on Raw. And I think that Dio Madden has an interesting story to tell in that he was brought to Raw. He was kind of unceremoniously booted, and then he was, you know, meant to be never heard from again. So I, I like Dio Madden there. Um, with the other people, Mia Yim, Mercedes Martinez, Dominic Dijakovic, while they have had, and I, I do like that it grows, you know, I, I think that, I think that the best way to utilize retribution is going to be, you've got to unmask some of them, you know, so we can actually have some matches and, and try to make stars out of these people. But I do like the idea of having like a ton of people behind them that would still have masks on. Like you never know exactly how many people are going to be in retribution. But, uh, I think that, uh, I think that it can't just be people from the performance center that weren't brought up to the main roster, you know, because I don't think that there, you know, who knows execution is going to be what this is all about, but I don't think there are enough people watching that are going, damn, when are they going to do something with Dominic Dijakovic on raw? There are some, but I just don't think there are that many people watching. I mean, let's be honest. If you look at, there's not nearly as many people watching NXT as are watching raw. So I don't think it's enough to just have them have been on NXT TV and now they're coming to Raw. Um, I think you need to have people in Retribution that have been on Raw and SmackDown and have not been used well. You know, that was my original idea was to make it a female-centric group where you'd have like Carmella and Dana Brooke and, and, and superstars in the women's division that have been forgotten about. You know, I think that it shouldn't just be people who feel like they've been forgotten about in the performance center. I think it should be uh, people that were forgotten about on Raw and SmackDown, the the catering all-stars, but never use the word catering on WWE TV. Again, I'm so tired of it. You know, I think uh, Cesaro's a bad example because he's the one half of the tag team champions right now. But, you know, it's all the people that kind of came up and were forgotten about. I heard somebody uh, talk about Mojo Rawley being a possibility. But I think it's 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 got to be people who fans really care about. It's got to be people that, that fans are, re are, are sitting there rallying, going, what happened to this person? Why isn't this person a star? You know, those are the people who I think if you showcase them, with this retribution thing, then you're on to something, you know? I think Alistair Black would have been a great leader of retribution, you know? I think uh, uh, you could throw Austin Theory in there, maybe, but I, I, I think you're looking more, more at guys like Alistair Black, maybe even like Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel being thrown in there, right? People who you're like, oh, I thought this was going to be something, and maybe they were something for a second. Um, I don't know. I'm looking through, uh, the superstars list right now. It might be a good opportunity to put Drew Gulak in there. You know, Drew Gulak being the leader of retribution would be good because he had a minute that he was doing stuff, but I haven't really heard from, from Drew Gulak in quite a while. So, you know, I, I think that it should be at least partially people like that people who we know, people who we were waiting 
for something else to happen with. And and I think it can be something that was done like the NWO, you know, where it starts out as this group of, of people that I just listed, basically from NXT and from the Performance Center, but then eventually people join, you know? I think like Ricochet joining Retribution at one point would be huge because who has a bigger axe to grind with WWE than Ricochet on screen, theoretically, right? And people would love that if Ricochet got that. I think Ali, Ali should absolutely be in Retribution. Ali could be the leader of Retribution. But I, I think people like that should join Retribution as it goes. But I think you got to get the ball rolling. I think you have to get the ball rolling. Um, oh, and then before we go, there was rumors that uh, Melina was coming back to WWE. I saw that uh, over the weekend. I don't know if that's true or not. But if she is, I wouldn't be shocked. I was thinking about it. I wouldn't be shocked to see uh, Andrade and uh, uh, Angel Garza get back on the same page without Zelina and introduce Molina as their new manager. That wouldn't surprise me. That wouldn't shock me at all. And then have Zelina Vega go and uh, become an in-ring uh, competitor and go on. I guess she's going to be facing off against Asuka soon. That's what it seems like anyway. Hey, appreciate all you guys being here once again on Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, you're all great. Make sure that you check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. The YouTube page, youtube.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. And we'll see you all next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. At ADP, we work with more than 860,000 companies worldwide. That gives us a pretty good idea of how to help businesses grow stronger. Whether it's through data insights that help you make informed decisions about building a team that works better as a team. Or by keeping you ahead of thousands of changing regulations so you can keep ahead of everything else. Like building that better team. Grow stronger with ADP. HR talent, time, and payroll.